Hello, Canon listeners. This week's episode is a re-air of an interview I did with Paul David Tripp in the fall of 2019. It was right before COVID, and we had a marriage conference at the Church of the Apostles led by Paul. I was able to interview him before that conference, so you will hear the conference mentioned in the program. Unfortunately, that has already passed, but the great information he shared at the conference is available in his book we talk about in this episode. We wanted to share this episode again today because his insight was so valuable, and we thought it was a good bookend to our recent conversations on godly relationships. I hope it blesses you as it did me. Thank you for listening, and God bless. When you hit that wall of disappointment, you are now at the edge of a deeper, fuller, more robust love than you've ever known before. Because now you are facing who you actually are as a couple. Don't panic. Don't run away. That's the work of God. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Before we jump into today's topic, I want to tell you about a fun and useful giveaway on our Candid social media pages. You have a chance to win two free tickets to the Marriage of Your Dreams conference at the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia. We will share more details about the conference in today's episode. There's more in the prize package, so head over to our social media pages and make sure you submit an entry. You can find the links to our social media pages on ltw.org slash candid or by checking today's show notes. Now on to today's topic, marriage. It's a blessing from God, but it can also be difficult and complicated. We get married because we believe marriage is a good thing and that it will bless our lives. But much of the time, marriage morphs into something we didn't intend it to be. When it does, we need something sturdier than romance or deeper than shared interests and mutual attraction. Today's candid conversation is with Dr. Paul David Tripp, who believes marriage requires changed expectations, radical commitments, and most importantly, grace. Dr. Paul David Tripp is a pastor, event speaker, and best-selling and award-winning author. With more than 30 books and video series on Christian living, Paul's driving passion is to connect the transforming power of Jesus Christ to everyday life. He's been married to his lovely wife, Luella, for over 40 years, and they have four grown children. Dr. Tripp, welcome to Candid Conversations. It's great to be with you. Now, before we get started, I wanted to share how much my wife and I are very much looking forward to uh, the upcoming marriage conference at Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia, the weekend of February 21st. Um, Just that title, uh, The Marriage of Your Dreams, should be enticing enough for everyone to want to sign up for it. Isn't that what every married person hopes for, longs for, prays for? (laughs) Did you come up with that title yourself? Uh, Yeah. Beautiful. It's my understanding that this conference, this Marriage of Your Dreams conference, it's based on your book, What You Were Expecting, Redeeming the Realities of Marriage. And I wonder if you could just take a few minutes to share with us what led you to write that book. 
Well, after years of pastoral ministry, after my own experience of marriage, I'm just deeply persuaded that thousands and thousands of couples every year get married with unrealistic expectations. And for a Christian, I think that's because we don't take seriously what the Bible says about who we are and where we're living. Let me just say something about the Word of God just for a moment. I think that if wanting information about your marriage, biblical information, all you do is go to the marriage passages, you miss the vast majority of information that the Bible has to help you to understand yourself and understand your marriage. The reason for that is the Bible isn't arranged by topic. Essentially, the Bible is a grand redemptive story. It's the ultimate story that explains my individual story. Maybe the best way to say it, it's a story with God's essential explanatory and applicatory notes. So I really need everything the Bible has to say to me about myself, about God, about life, in order to understand the kinds of things I'm going to be dealing with in my marriage. And so because we don't take those things seriously, and we don't think they apply to marriage because they're not under the topic of marriage, we end up walking to our marriage with unrealistic expectations. Mm. Let me give you an example. If you take a biblical view of marriage, this is what it is. It's a sinner in an intimate daily relationship with a sinner in a fallen world. Are you encouraged yet? (laughs) (laughs) But with a faithful God. That's marriage. And once you understand that, then you have a whole different way of approaching this very, very significant relationship. And on that topic of um, the sort of unrealistic expectations, in the book you do write about that, um, those expectations going into a marriage and, and how they impact how we experience marriage. And so my question to you, I think, is, is sort of the, what would you say are the right expectations heading into marriage? And you've kind of covered that a little bit, but maybe a little flesh that out a little bit. Well, I, I think that you, you have to realize that I'm, no one ever gets to marry a perfect person. It just doesn't happen that, that we are flawed people. There is still sin living inside of us. Yes, God has broken the power of sin. But the presence of sin still remains and is being progressively eradicated. That's what our theology says. And so, listen, my spouse is going to say a bad thing. They're going to have a bad attitude. They're going to have a bad day. There's maybe a moment where they're going to lose their way. That's not the exception. That's all of our experiences because we haven't yet been perfected. And so you have to go in realizing that there are things that you're going to have to deal with, that unless you deal with those, you won't have the kind of marriage that you actually want to have. Let me say something else. I think that we mistake attraction and romance for the real love that makes marriage work. Um, and And my experience is that couples are so taken up in the fact they found somebody that they're strongly attracted to and so taken up that they're experiencing incredible romance that they're not interested in messing that up by having honest conversations about the difficulties they may face. They're afraid if they do that, that romance will crumble. 
I was once sitting in counseling and a wife said this amazing thing to me. She said, I don't think I could ever be angry at my husband. <laughs> I'm thinking, seriously? Well, well, she meant it because mm-hmm. she was so caught up in romance that she couldn't imagine that this man would ever do anything that would be irritable mm-hmm. or hurtful. Mm-hmm. So I know right away this couple is going into marriage with just unrealistic expectations. Yeah, there's sort of a, a veil over the eyes that the reality hasn't set in, and it sets them up for a difficult marriage ahead, because you're right, the reality of sin and our sin nature, um, it comes to the forefront. Now, for someone who's currently feeling disappointed in their marriage, or if their marriage feels broken, what is that first step towards getting on the right path, that first step towards fixing things? This is going to sound, uh, well, it's definitely going to be counterintuitive and surprising to people. Be thankful. Because I think when you hit that wall of disappointment, you are now at the edge of a deeper, fuller, more robust love than you've ever known before. Mm. Because now you are facing who you actually are as a couple. Don't panic. Don't run away. That's the work of God. God has brought you to the place where you now have on the table the kinds of stuff that you need to deal with if your marriage is going to have longevity Mm. and have fruitfulness and peace and harmony and joy, the kind of marriage that's reflective of God's love for us. The only way to get there is by facing the real things that are going on in your marriage. Mm. Here's uh, the, the truth of the situation. Everybody is disappointed in their marriage in some way. Everybody. The question is, what are you going to do in the face of that disappointment? Are you going to run away? Are you going to deny? Are you going to condemn the other person and live in anger? Or are you going to say, this is an opportunity to get at things that are in the way of the kind of marriage that God wants us to have? You know, just as you're saying all that, it's making me think it's so similar to our own salvation, right? We kind of come to an end of ourselves and realize, oh, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> I can try and I can put up all those things, but it's it's that, that realizing that I think I actually need to die to self here. And that's certainly applicable to the marriage situation. You talk a little bit about this, I think, in the book, but when we're dating and we, and we first get married, the, the differences we see in our spouse – They're often the things that attract us to them. But then as time passes, it seems that those very same differences become a source of conflict. How can we prevent that? Yeah, you said it very well. The very things that, the very differences that uh, draw us into relationship with one another become a source of irritation in that day-by-day intimacy of of marriage. And, And again, I'm going to say something that will be surprising, I think, that I really think uh, dealing with those differences is really rooted in the worship of God. Let me explain this. First of all, if I worship God as creator, I know that those differences are the result of the majesty of his creation. Listen, the God who made lilies made rocks. The God who makes stars made the water in the ocean. The God who makes my personality makes the personality of someone very different. 
the majesty of his creative artistry should blow us away. Is it any wonder that to say I'm a human being tells you very little about who I actually am because there's such a, a variegated symphony of what we're like? And so you start by saying, this is not an accident. This is a beautiful thing that we're different. Second, you worship God as sovereign. Ultimately, he's chosen for us to be together. The Bible says he determines the exact place where we will live and the exact length of our days. God chooses our address. Uh, That's Acts 17. And so he wove our stories together. I mean, my story is amazing. I was raised in the white bread middle west of Toledo, Ohio. Whenever I mention Toledo, people say we drove through there once. I don't think anybody ever stops. <laughs> My wife was raised in Cuba, born in Placetas. So you have this, this woman from this exotic island nation and this man from Ohio who happened to encounter one another in a lunch line in college, of course we're different. We're different in a thousand ways, not just personality, but are all the culture that we are surrounded with. Now, those differences are not an accident. They're an intention because God is yanking me out of myself and drawing me into dealing with things that I need to deal with and all of these differences. And it's hard work, and you never get done doing that work. But you realize that this is not an accident, it's not a mistake, it's God's intention. Hmm. Third, you worship God as Savior. He is with us, He is for us, and He's in us. And dealing with these differences is not just left on us. He never calls us without going with us. He never asks us to do a task without enabling us to do it. So it's as I realize that these differences we're dealing with are God's intention for us. They're meant to produce good in us. Then I don't panic. And I begin to say, how do we forge a relationship where we appreciate these differences? We make use of these differences rather than try to turn this person into myself. Here's the instinct. I'm going to try to rise to the throne of creation. I'm going to recreate you in my image. I'll try to make you like me. It never works. It only creates hurt and further division. I was talking about with a colleague, but even when they do have similarities to us, all it does is show us our own character back to us, and then sometimes we don't even like that. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You know, it's interesting. You bring up the the difference. Um, In today's culture, it seems like we just want people who think like us around us. So whether it's politically, philosophically, whatever it is, we, we just want to be surrounded with those that don't disagree with us. And you're right, by creation, the very differences, uh, even culturally, um, all the differences that God has uniquely gifted us as human beings with, and we don't seem to be appreciating that, uh, and that certainly finds its way down into the, the issue of marriage for sure. I think there's one other thing. I think that we have, it's possible to be married, be a Christian, be serious about your faith, but not be on God's agenda page for marriage. Hmm. The ultimate purpose of marriage is not my personal happiness. The ultimate purpose of marriage is twofold. One, 
that it is God's means of changing me, of transforming me, of maturing me. You could say the ultimate purpose of marriage is not happiness, it's holiness. God puts me in this hard relationship where my heart will be exposed, where we'll hit these bumps because he loves me, he's still at work, and he's yanking me out of my comfort in order to transform me. The other purpose is that on earth, this relationship would be a reflection of how God loves us. We are his, his bride. So if I reduce marriage down to just my comfort and my happiness, obviously I'm going to be irritated at anything that's uncomfortable. And the problem with that, that misses God's intention for marriage. Look, if the purpose of marriage was happiness, God would have to get us fully perfected first. Marriage happens in the middle of God's work on us. And so it's incomplete people who are married to incomplete people. So in the midst of that relationship, they could become a little more complete. You use that phrase about the, the finding the happiness in marriage. There's there's something that's driving that. I mean, it, that's a common narrative that I hear that that I'm just not happy or 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 I'm I'm looking for happiness. What what is it that you think that's sort of driving that and pushing that? Is that a cultural well, thing? Well, I, I think there are, again. There's a couple reasons. But first is I love what Paul says in Second Corinthians five fifteen. He says Jesus came so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. The DNA of sin is selfishness. I am meant to live for something vastly bigger than myself. In my sin, I shrink the world down to the claustrophobic confines of my wants, my needs, my feelings. And so all of us have that inside of us. We have the inertia of selfishness inside of us. That's why we get irritated in traffic. That's why we get upset at the person in the grocery line who's taking too much time. That's why we yell at our kids when they interrupt us when we're doing something, because we put ourselves in the middle of the world and we make it all about us. Hmm. But we also live in a culture that's outrageously individualistic, where the highest of happiness is depicted as getting your way, having what you want when you want it, how you want it. And we get outraged when anything gets in our way or an opinion comes our way that's different than ours. So you have the struggle of my own heart because there's sin inside of me, and you have that reinforced by culture. No wonder we've turned marriage into little more than a container for human happiness. Your book is really showing individuals and couples how to live the gospel as it's laid out in the Bible, something that we should do whether we're married or single. You know, but there seems to be a disconnect between believers and their struggle to apply gospel truth to everyday life, myself included. You know, principles like confession, uh, forgiveness, building trust, seeking God's kingdom above our own, offering unconditional love, and so on. Do you have any thoughts on where the disconnect happens and how we can begin to change that? I think that if you use the term gospel, the average person thinks entrance and exit. Past forgiveness, I've been forgiven by Christ, so I'm now one of his children. 
future hope. I'm going to eternity to be with him. And they missed the whole middle of the gospel. Uh, I believe that we need to reinforce our understanding of the nowism of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, Jesus didn't just die for my past. He just didn't die for my future. He died for everything I face in the present. And so the gospel is not just an entrance and an exit. It's a way of looking at life, everything I face in life. It's a way of living in this present world. For example, the Bible says that in order to be who I am and to do what God has called me to do, I need to live a life of confession and forgiveness. So those should be the normal patterns of a marriage. You get that from the gospel. The gospel says ultimately the way God uh, brings change into my life is not through the law, but through grace. Now, the average person has no idea how to have a grace-based marriage. Because what they think is that grace means being permissive. Grace means not dealing with things. And the fact of the matter is, the Bible would teach us that grace never calls wrong right. If wrong were right, there'd be no need for grace. Grace is a way of dealing with wrong. So, I mean, we could spend the next 45 minutes just talking about gospel principles that when applied to marriage, radically change the way you approach the everyday work of living with somebody who's less than perfect. Hmm. When talking about um, uh, keeping marital relationships safe and secure, you write, and, and I love this quote, you need to be committed to talk, talk, and talk. I have been amazed over the years at how little consistent and honest communication goes on between married couples. I think there are many, many couples who simply do not talk. Sure, they discuss the schedule and logistics of their life together, but they do not talk with one another in a heart-disclosing, relationship-protecting way. Sinners living in silence do not produce unity, understanding, and love. Why do you think this is such a massive struggle for couples? Well, I think, one, it's just the busyness of life. We just allow ourselves to get so busy that we we really are the quintessential shifts passing the night. But it, those kind of conversations are awkward often. They're tense. Uh, they're emotional. And it takes hard work. It takes commitment. It takes a willingness to go through something that's uncomfortable to get to a better place. And it's easy just not to do it. And in so doing, you then you don't have a vehicle for dealing with the things that need to be dealt with. I mean, think of God's relationship to us. He talks, 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 talks. I mean, immediately upon creating Adam and Eve, what's the first thing God does? He talks to them. Because hmm. they don't have any idea who they are or what they're supposed to be doing. And so that kind of communication is the fuel of a good marriage. Listen. It's still something I have to work on because you're always presented with things that are less than comfortable to deal with. And the question is, do I love this person enough that I'm willing to go through the sacrifice that is necessary for us to have the kind of communication that can lead to healing and unity and understanding in our marriage? Mm. My wife and I determined... If we're going to 
preserve our marriage with four children and a busy ministry life, we need to be out of the house at least once a week, just the two of us. And we determined we were going to do that religiously. Uh, there was a time when we had no money. We couldn't have gone to a restaurant. I tell the story of once we, I had a dollar twenty-five. I went to a department store, bought a single piece of candy, and asked for them to cut it in half. And my wife and I went to a park bench, split the candy, and we talked. But we always had that time where we're going to be out of the press of life, and we're going to make it happen. Now, if you're a husband or wife with small children, don't tell yourself you can't make that happen. There's a way that you can do that so that you always have a moment where you can be together. Don't go to a movie. Don't do a distracting activity. Go someplace, whether it's a long meal at a quiet restaurant or somewhere you have time to communicate with one another. Determining to have that time is a way of preserving the time necessary to have the kind of conversations that are important to your marriage. And I would think the longer that you go without doing that, the harder it is to then start that, I would think. Oh, yeah, you just build up. Well, you build up more and more for instances, but you also build up all kinds of emotion because when you experience something, but you don't deal with it, you don't leave it behind, you carry it. And you play it over and over again. And you develop some kind of emotional set, uh, either hurt or anger or bitterness or discouragement. And the more you don't deal with it, the more that emotional set grows and makes those conversations even harder. It's exactly like you said about the way, you know, the, the nature of confession with God. I mean, it, if you're not keeping those tight accounts, it builds up over time. And um, I think you're right. right. I think that the healthy model is to keep those conversations happening on a regular, ongoing basis. Um, we may have listeners today who are dealing with infidelity or broken trust with their spouse. And I wonder, what would you advise them in that situation? Well, I first say cry out to God. Uh, it's very clear that, in God's view, that's a horrible, horrible thing. And it's not the way it's meant to be. It's not what God has ever intended for a marriage. Marriage is meant to be a lifelong self-sacrifice and commitment. And so take your angst and your pain to your Savior. Second thing, don't give way to denial. Don't live with something that absolutely is destructive to the trust that is so vital to a marriage. And so you have to confront the infidelity. Third thing I'd say is get help. In the face of something that grave, it's very seldom that a couple is going to be able to work through that on their own. And I think that's one of the reasons God has designed the body of Christ. That if a marriage is living in the middle of the care and the ministry of the body of Christ, there are places to go for help. Get help. Don't be embarrassed. Don't let fear immobilize you. Get the help you need. You cannot have a marriage as God intended when there's infidelity in the way. You confront it honestly and then you get help that you're not going to be able to provide for yourself. Mm. Sort of along those lines, but, but but on a slightly different track. You know, there may be sort of 
extenuating circumstances for for some couples, uh, things like um, a childhood trauma, addiction, or loss that prevents them from growing in a healthy and and sort of God-glorifying way, how would you advise those couples? Well, I want to say I think that is normal. We always drag uh, how we have been impacted by the experiences of life in a fallen world into our marriage. Everybody does. Now, that could be something huge like abuse that has made me a fearful, angry person, for example. Or it could be there was something, some dysfunctional part of the culture, my family, that won't be productive to a good marriage. But we all drag something into our marriage. We always need to be asking the question, what are things that I brought into my marriage that are now rearing their heads, that are in the way of the kind of relationship that God wants me to have, and how do I go about dealing with those things? You ought to always be asking that question, even if you don't think you have those things in your in your marriage. What have I brought in? Because I never come into marriage empty-handed. I always bring things into my marriage. Are the things that I brought into my marriage conducive to what God has called us to be as a husband and wife, and what do I need to be, do to deal with those things? Your conference is coming up at the church, and I wonder if you could just share a little bit about the marriage conference and what couples can be expecting. Well, you know, you you see that title, The Marriage of Your Dreams, and it sounds dreamy. But listen, I believe that the Bible lays out a pattern of marriage that is the kind of marriage everybody wants to be part of. And so that's what we're going to talk about. What is God's plan for marriage And how can I get there? This plan that is so beautiful, so fulfilling, that is a pathway to unity and understanding and love. And I'm going to talk about the kinds of things you need to commit yourself to that can move you toward the marriage that every husband and wife wants to have. Mm. His book is, What Did You Expect? Redeeming the Realities of Marriage. We will put a link in the show notes. Please buy a copy and read it. It will be a blessing to your marriage. Dr. Tripp, thank you so much for joining me this morning on Candid Conversations. As we close, would you please pray for our listeners, for, for those that are married, single, you know, everyone in between? Lord, we thank you that you are always with us, that you've told us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. We know that many people listening are in marriages that have moments that are very discouraging. Maybe they're dealing with issues they don't know how to solve. Maybe it's just the up and down of marriage that all of us experience. We pray that you would remind them that you are with them, that your grace meets them where they are, that your word is a font of wisdom. And we pray that those who are in situations where they need help, that you would provide that help for them, that they would reach out and get the help that they cannot provide for themselves. And Lord, I pray that we would look back in weeks and months to come and say, God has been with us, and he has done a good thing. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Tripp. Thank you. It's been good being with you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast 
podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure that you never miss an episode. It's delivered to you as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check the show notes for the links to our social media pages or visit ltw.org candid to connect with these pages and share your questions with me. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.